0: Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Barbarians at the Gate. This is Jeremiah, less than two kilometers from the Liangmahe River, and with me, actually in the studio, crossing town, David Moser.
1: Yeah, hi, Jeremiah. How are you doing? I risked my life to come here, although it was uh, I made record time because there's hardly any cars on the road.
0: Even before everything that's happened this weekend, which we're going to get to, Beijing has been in kind of a, don't call it a lockdown right. lockdown, where everyone's been ordered to work from home. Most schools have gone online. Everyone needs a 24 or 48 hour COVID test to access mm-hmm. any public place. And at the same time, many of the places that we usually go to get those tests have been closed or moved around. So with the result that somebody who is really lazy like me and hasn't been tested in three or four days can't even go to the 7-Eleven unless I resort to to various subterfuges to confuse the scanning mechanism. Mm.
1: So it's the 28th today, last night the 27th, as people will know, and and just this is a time stamp, is when uh, China, various cities, erupted in spontaneous protests all over the place, and including online.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started started kind of Friday evening Mm -hmm. with one of these weekend over the night when the sensors may not be totally awake, you wake up on Saturday morning and you see that there were lots of different memes. There were lots of different videos. There were protests or at least demonstrations that were happening in different part cities. There were cities, especially Urumqi, Shanghai. A lot of this seems to have been kicked off by the stories of the, the fire in Urumqi. That's The fire in Urumqi and, right. right. and, and the possibility. I mean, no one's there, but the does seem like the various COVID policies made it difficult for people to put out the fire to rescue the people, and sympathy demonstrations began around China on Friday night, and then continued on Saturday night, particularly, and then last night, they came to Beijing, Right, and so it's been kind of three nights in a row now.
1: So, when did you? Uh, I'm wondering when you first began to sense that this was happening because it it did, it did happen gradually. And for me, part of it was uh, not only watching, you know, the foreign news, but but suddenly noticing in my WeChat moments, I guess you call it we, WeChat stream stream or whatever it's called, that I was getting uh, videos passed on through various people that that are very apolitical and have never sent me any political content online. And suddenly I was getting these videos, and I think the night before last, I would click on it, and it would, they would be already censored. Maybe they were there online for 15 minutes or so. Last night, or yesterday, I began to notice that, that, that I was, the, uh, the we, WeChat was flooded with these videos, and they weren't being taken down because there were simply too many of them. And people, it seemed like there was safety in numbers. There, seemed, there was this, this explosion of, of uh, protest videos and I began to say, this is not normal. This is not the normal, you know, course of events. And then, of course, everything else began to happen. But that was when I first began began to sense that this was not the usual sorts of brief outbreaks.
0: Yeah. Now Saturday night into Sunday morning, you know, we were seeing a lot of videos online. We were seeing a lot of memes online. Memes. Uh, you know, there was people have been using some very creative ways to evade the sensors, evade the algorithms, and you know, it does feel like this is one of those moments where even in a place like China that, that where you know the powers that be put so much emphasis and resources on a censorship machine that it can be overwhelmed. And so we woke up on Sunday morning, you know, and there was a lot of different things that were already online. And then of mm-hmm. course on Monday on on Sunday night, what was striking for us of course was I, I I had already gone to bed. And when I woke up on Monday morning it realized that this had taken place at the Liangma River. I mean, I I just was over there about four or five hours before the protest kicked off, and there really wasn't anything to see then. But by eleven p.m., man, you should the videos that were coming out of Beijing were pretty amazing. They are definitely unlike anything I've seen in Beijing in my entire twenty years here. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know you, David. I mean, you have a slightly longer uh, perspective on these things. You know, on one hand, I want to be careful not to simply go, "Oh well," you know, rush to judgment. Like this is unprecedented. Historians hate that term, and that this is, you know, the beginnings of something. But it definitely, I would resist anyone's attempt to kind of throw cold water on this and say, "Well, this will just fizzle out or peter out." I don't know. I think one of the things we should really kind of look at again. We're we're taping this on Monday. It's been over the weekend. What will happen if these things continue? If these protests continue or if they spread? For example, I feel like that many of the police in these videos on the first night of protests, at least in the big cities, seem to let it go. Um, either that was because they didn't have orders or because their orders were to you know, not resist so strongly. But on, in Shanghai that today, as, more, as people have come out again, the, res- the response has been tougher. And so I wonder in Beijing, if we have a second night, what will be the response? And will it be less peaceful than it was last night? The other thing to think about, too, is even if there aren't demonstrations tonight, part of it could be just logistical. It's going to be minus you know minus 10 centigrade wind chill tonight. Beijing's getting the middle of winter. So there's a lot of factors here. And, you know, but I think one of the things we got to think about is before we kind of rush to judgment, are these going to be sustained? If they are sustained, what's going to be the response? And if there is a response, what will be the response to that?
1: Yeah, this is this is the question that we're that we're asking. I mean, a lot depends, I suppose, on what the ne- the government's next step is. A lot of people say that step has already happened because uh, virtually overnight there was a big announcement that that they were sort of uh, loosening up the lockdown in Xinjiang, which had been the source of some of this animosity, and especially the fire, which was the result of of the continued lockdown. So at least in Xinjiang, which they were very nervous about, had had also sort of erupted. You would expect that the people living there would be loath to even take part in because of the level of surveillance that's that's there. But if if the people are mad enough to take the street and take that chance, and there's it's gone over the edge, and so they they had to do something. Right. The question is now is what are they going to do? I th- I think one of the triggers, as I was just talking about, was. Uh, these, these, uh, events with the, the deaths of children and the, and the 10 people who died in the fire in Urumqi, but also the sudden unexpected spike in cases in Beijing and other places, where for the last few days, last week, we've seen new highs almost every day. And I think all this, all this anger and confusion compounded by the fact that the government suddenly felt compelled to kick back into place all of these sort of uh, restrictions but in a in a very chaotic manner because a lot of them had been already lifted the levels were so high that people were that the the local juehue and the people that are in charge of administrating these things had to take drastic measures at a time when everyone was already sick of the me- of the routine measures that were already being taken the question now is they're faced with this 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 quandary which is that they they still regardless of what you think about zero covid and its future they're faced with huge numbers that that are a public health threat still and but there's right now a a public mood a public sentiment threat people that are angry with the chaos and the way that this has been ministered and they've they've looked looked at the foreign situation and the government is faced with this problem do we quell this this public anger or do we continue the the, the control of the v- spreading of the virus despite what the public thinks? Or is there some way to do that by changing their approach? For example, maybe how about a novel idea telling people what the plan is and what the parameters are and what the trajectory is and what we're going to do? Because I think one of the pe- – I don't know about you, but one of the the, the the key points of the anger that I've heard from, from my neighbors and my friends and so forth is that – that these changes, these these t- horrif- horrifically disruptive uh, moves happen with with no advance warning and no explanation of what's of what's going on, and also increasingly no uh, no legal va- uh, justification or proof or indication of of what legality of these moves are and so people you know it was already uh, the people's mood was already at a boiling point you know the 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 combination of all of these things and the uh you know the, the disruptions in Xinjiang and everything i think just reached a point where where people were were so pissed off that they were willing to risk being being uh noted down by the authorities and maybe you know to be arrested later on people people nowadays that was the thing i mentioned about the uh, social media uh videos. people were no longer afraid to post because everyone else was doing it. So everyone it's it's like it's this subtle tipping point. When do these movements happen? When does this explode? and the, the phenomenon that you see usually when the when the mood reaches a boiling point and people can't take it anymore, then there's a moment when when suddenly if everyone is surging in the same direction, then there's no longer the fear of being the only one, the chutonyao, you know, the bird that pokes its head up gets shot, right? Then people are no longer afraid. And that was, I think, in evidence last night at 梁馬橋, as you mentioned, But also in in Shanghai, and especially in in Urumqi and Xinjiang, when they have a good reason to be very afraid of protesting, and yet they were protesting anyway.
0: Well, I think those birds may have reason to be concerned, because I suspect that one of the strategies, and I think we've already started to see some of this play out in the universities, because there were pretty sizable demonstrations at Tsinghua University and Peking University here in the city uh, over the weekend, and one of the things we're seeing on Monday is that people are starting to get, or at least there's videos of people being taken away from those campuses. And it leads me to suspect that the strategy is rather than try, at least in the big cities, rather than try to control the crowd, as long as the crowd doesn't get out of control itself, wait, photograph, identify and then later detain and make an example. Maybe they can't get everybody, but they can get enough people mm-hmm. from those photographs and they can identify them and they can then, especially for students, they can take them away and make examples. They're kind of hoping, I think the authorities are hoping that that will be, you know, the idea that it could happen to you too, so be careful of what you do. And so I, I think that's something that we're going to be seeing in the next couple of days.
1: Yeah, of course they're going to have to uh, to succeed in quelling the current level of, you know, turbulence before they could get to that point because at, at this point, threatening to arrest people is not going to make any difference right
0: well the other thing too i think is that people are getting bolder right and they're being emboldened by some of the messages that are going around on WeChat of you know specifically at telling people how to argue mm-hmm. for their rights in the situation where they're being either uh, going to be taken off to centralized quarantine or if a place is being locked down and with the cases with the case numbers rising right now although there was a slight drop in Beijing over this, in the last 24 hours. Although, the cynic in me says that part of that is because I think there are a lot of people like me who are kind of passively, right. quietly quitting the whole program, Right. because we don't have to go anywhere anyway. But that said, with the case numbers rising, the only way really to bring them back down is to tighten those restrictions. Right. And I think, right. I think part of the frustration has been that people feel a little jerked around, because a couple of weeks ago we had these you know, these twenty bullet points that were released by the government for how this was supposed to be done, and a lot of people, right or wrong, kind of saw this as a step in the direction of, okay, maybe we're gonna gradually loosen things up. Right. And then within a week, at least in Beijing, Chaoyang district closes, schools right. go back online, and it was like, Okay, well, here we go again. Right. And I think the challenge now, at least in Beijing and probably in other cities too, is while They the government may not feel the need to necessarily relax things very much. They think they're gonna. I think they realize that increased restrictions are going to meet increased resistance. Right, and I, you know, we talk about how one of the changes that's happened in the last few weeks has been the it was the you know the devolution. Of mm-hmm. authority or mm-hmm. for decision making. Right. From the municipality to the districts now to the local neighborhood committees and, you know, and neighbor, neighborhood committees and street committees. And this has caused all kinds of problems, as we talked about last time with kind of unequal enforcement and unequal policies. But the other thing too is that people are now asking a question. What authority do these neighborhood committees and street committees have to enact policy?
1: And of course you might want to to give a, an overview of of that hierarchy that, that we discussed be, before the podcast which is you know how how these local community centers and, and the Juwei and these people and how, how this and the, even the local uh, medical uh, people the dabai who very often are almost volunteers they are not getting very much money maybe you could explain a little bit of that hierarchy since 1949
0: one of the achievements in terms of governance on the on, the, on, the, on the, in the people's republic of china from the perspective of the government has been the ability to drop the levels of governance to the very grassroots, to drop governance to the very grassroots level. This is something that's really different from the imperial period when the lowest levels of government were actually rested quite high. You'd have like a magistrate in charge of like 50,000, 100,000 people. But in the 20th century, you had village committees, street committees, neighborhood committees. These were theoretically community organized groups, but of course, they're the lowest branches of the party structure. Now the in my neighborhood we have a Zhu Weihui, a neighborhood committee, that is technically community organized, but is in reality the lowest branch of the
1: Communist Party. Yeah, let me just just cut in here for just for a second for examples of that we're seeing now. This lower level that you're talking about um, are the people that you know. In in the old days we talked the, the about the xiao jiao fu, you know the, the old lady. What did you say the old biddy brigade yeah the old biddy brigade who were sort of you know uh, retired women whose job it was to kind of keep the community running and you know th- that sort of uh, structure is still in place it's sort of a, kind of an informal grassroots and the Jue hue is kind of uh, up just a step up from that so the problem uh, in, in under covid is that um, the Jue hue and the the loose collection of medical people who are tasked with doing all this testing and then all the 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 the, kanmer, the what he called the gu- the guards at the gate, are also involved in this. They're they're supposed to be you know checking who comes in and out, and all of these different people who are not paid much money. It's not part of their job description, and yet suddenly they're forced to do all these things. And the problem now has been this lower level informal you know group of support people have been the brunt of all the anger of the people because that's the interface. They don't get to see the 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 the. Uh, the party member who's in charge of Chaoyang District. They don't get to see the person even who's in charge of the jiu right? They only see these people who are telling them where to go and where to get tests. And so this anger boils over. And there was an example of this on the internet of a cop who was, you know, uh, talking to this angry crowd that was about to get locked down again. And some of the people started yelling, you know, to this policeman, saying, you know, look, aren't we a, a country ruled by laws? Where is the piece of paper that says there's there's that there's a legal authority to to do this to us? There must be something, otherwise, you know, why should we listen to you? And the, and the the policeman was on a, like a walkie-talkie to someone, I guess either in the wu ye or the um the the neighborhood committee, and he was saying, uh, "Do you have anything like a pwer?" He was saying, you know. The, the the official document that says that we're going to do this and the police are able to implement it and they were saying what are you talking about this is a we're from the top we're supposed to be doing this just implement it and suddenly the cop didn't want to be the bad guy he didn't want to be the one in between that was going to get yelled at and rocks thrown at him because the people are angry and so he he said uh, to the he said well we should wait until we get official authorization before i put these poor people through another nightmare weekend, right? And he got he was got tumultuous applause at this, and people were shouting, saying the first time they'd seen a cop, a policeman mediate in between these sort of shadowy authorities that were pushing them around and the Lao Bai Sing that they're supposed to be serving. And this is, I think, you're going to see more and more of this because if you see these videos, the, these the the uh, hazmat suited dabais are getting beaten up. By, by the angry mobs, there's no reason why that should happen to them. Th- they should not be in charge of, of taking, uh, you know, taking COVID, of administering COVID tests and also administering legal, uh, you know, authority over the these people's lives. That shouldn't be their job. So I think, you know, that that's under COVID, this, this uh, hierarchical, distribution of uh, of legal authority is breaking down it's breaking down because it doesn't work anymore it's based on goodwill and you you know it's grassroots you know the old granny or you know the old person it's breaking down people are not willing to do this anymore
0: you know i think too whether it's volunteers like at the uh, the auntie army or whether it is uh kind of the shadow government that is all the party apparatus that mirrors a lot of the uh, official government structures but then tends to operate at a slight not remove mm-hmm. but from behind the curtain right yeah. and one of the most one of the the remarkable things about what's happening both the story about the the cop and the applause but also these 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 posts that are going around you know telling people how to argue for their rights their legal rights and pointing out that these organizations these community run organizations don't have a legal right to right. close a complex or to send somebody away i don't want to take this too far I, I don't want to i don't want to take this argument too far but this is kind of an example of people appealing to the law of the state mm-hmm. to challenge the authority of these shadow if you will mm-hmm. or behind the scenes policies and enforcers who the, are part of the party structure. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this, this is a small sample size, but I'm not sure that's a lesson that the party would like to teach Beijingers, <laughs> that they can, they can resort to the law to resist you know, party-organized groups. And I wonder if one of the things that's happening right now is that there's a generation waking up to kind of a divide here between government and the people and the party. And that's leading to some dissonance. That's leading to some disappointment. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't, and, and I think for a small subset of the urban elite, especially the young urban elite, uh, that's, they're, they're learning a, a pretty interesting lesson on the fly about this. And I wonder where that might go. I, I don't want to take this too far. This is not somebody, this is not saying like, oh, the, the people have you know, cleaved off from the party. But it's one of the first times I remember in, in Beijing. Where you see people using at least I- I very openly defying party authorities by appealing to government law.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think that's uh, this this notion of the you know the ifa notion is breaking down a little bit as people see that that the actually uh, the measures that are being taken seem at at very best chaotic and at worst just absolutely not based on legal and having no, no legal justification. You know, one of the things about this that pe- that people see echoes of of the Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square pro- protests is that uh, you know, and re- originally it was these young students who were you know uh, protesting. Uh, to, to better their lives and also, you know, were patriots. They were, you know, they're thinking of the country as a whole. But the entire city of Beijing and the whole country are, sort of fell behind them because every walk of life was being affected in, in different ways. And I think that's one of the similarities that we have now. I You know, our house has a uh, – our home has an i.e. A, a woman who comes in two couple times a week and cleans up our home and, and you know, does the, the usual chores – of uh, you know, doing washing the dishes and stuff like that, and she came to me last week and said, "Can I live at your house for the next few days?" They've shut down uh, the place where I live. It's not an apartment complex, but it's more like a, a hutong uh, area. But they've but they've shut it down, saying you can't leave after midnight tonight. You can't leave the compound. Now this this woman depends on daily or weekly uh, you know work in other people's homes. To clean, up, clean, and she and she has different, maybe four or five different families that she does this for. And if she's locked in a compound for a week, she's going to lose her, her entire income. So she's now living at my house, <laughs> and going, you know, uh, freely running around because we're not in lockdown right now, and doing her work as usual. This, this is someone that's not an elite Beijinger. She's a white iran, you know, and, but she's living in Beijing. And this is, this is affecting, disruptive to her life and, and is a disaster for her income. And you see this at every level. The, the people in my compound, the people, the, the, the small business people that have, the, you know, my barber who cuts my hair, you know, rants about this every time I go there because this is killing him. And, you know, he can't make plans. He can't depend. Does he go home? Does he give up? Does he sell the store? What does he do? This is affecting every walk of life at every level, and everyone is, is pissed off. And I think this is this has been long in the offing for a very, very long time. But I think everything just came to a head in the last weekend.
0: You know, it's been sort of a, an axiom in, in political science courses about China for the last 30 years that the, the, the things that the party fears the most are issues that either can connect people geographically, that's people in different cities feeling the same way about something, right. or connect people vertically, people in different social groups feeling the same way. We remember one reason that the Beijing took air pollution so seriously was that Rich, poor, everybody's, everybody's kids. Is affected, everybody's right? yeah. kids breathe the exactly. same air, right? And I think we're seeing that here too. Yeah, you know the the story about the eye reminds me. You know, in the morning, I usually you know on my morning runs, I go up the Liangma River, which is not far away from my house, and in the underpasses of, of along the riverbank, I've noticed more and more of the Kwaide, uh guys, the the delivery guys yeah. who deliver mm-hmm. everything here, sleeping rough. Now, oh, it's, wow, it's, it's, really? long, it's long been a case because a lot of these guys can't afford housing. and they You do, mean
1: they're sleeping outdoors? They Wait. sleep under the bridges, yeah. Wow. No, now, no, I didn't know
0: that. There's three reasons they do this. One is sometimes they're just there because they're in between shifts. Right. But a lot of these, I've seen also some of these guys, they have set up like little campsites and right, everything right. like that. So this, has been a, this has been an issue all through COVID because the number of cheap places to stay in Beijing has oh, d- right. d- declined. But also a lot of them are doing it right now. Because if they get locked down, mm-hmm. then they lose their livelihood. And mm-hmm. it's, they can't be locked down if they're sleeping under a bridge. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's little things like that that kind of bring home why there's so much frustration. It's also probably worth noting that, uh, talking a little bit about the Liangma River. For those of you who have lived in Beijing, you may know where this is. For those of you who are less familiar with Beijing, know that it's a river that flows kind of in the northeast section of the city. It's actually more or less river is kind of overstating it. It's it's more of like a, a canal. Yeah. And in the last two or three years, there's been a lot of work done to beautify the whole river bank, and it's like a park on each side. And it's really nice. I think Beijing Tourism Board calling it Beijing's answer to Le Seine probably mm-hmm. needs to be kind of rethought. But and it's a nice it's a nice area. It's not an accident that people chose this location. There are some people pointing out like the embassies are close by, so hostile foreign forces, not really, because it's, it's, a, it's a place that throughout the last couple of years has been kind of a, one of the few places people can gather even when the city has been relatively locked down because there's no gate. There's nothing to walk through. So the, mm-hmm. when the parks are closed, this is where you can go. This past the, the lockdown this past spring in Beijing, when all the bars were closed and all the restaurants were closed, people would come down to the, the riverbank And they would, it was a moving party the whole way. People pushing drink carts. I mean, you know, police tried to shut things down, but there's only so much they could do. And, you know, people were partying by the river until four or five in the morning Mm -hmm. on on many nights. So it is a space that already has become kind of a zone where Beijingers know they can gather. And that's one reason they chose this particular area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't surprised that this was the location. One other thing to note too, it's not really in the city center.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's
0: between the second – a lot of activity was occurring was between – and again, this may make more sense to people who are familiar with Beijing – but between the second and third Ring Road. So, for example, we saw some reports um, earlier today like there's a group that was heading for Tiananmen They were apparently, but they never got very far. And, and when they denounced that's where they were heading, the police were like, oh, "Okay, you're going to stop a, right yeah. <laughs> there." Keep in mind that's like ten kilometer walk, that's a and long they, they, ways were not, away. they were not they were not going to get anywhere right. near right. No. Tiananmen. So this is not this is not right in the center of the city, but it's center enough, and it's also in an area where there are a lot of people living. It's a very well, it's visible a, it's, area. It's a
1: very foreign uh, area. The embassies, uh, you know, the hotels and stuff. It's a very foreigner friendly, you know side of town, yeah. You
0: know. And one of the other, the location of the protest is right by the Third Ring Road overpass. Right. So they over, the river goes kind of under the Third right. Ring Road. Right. And one thing people were, were reporting was even the people, while there, well, there were people protesting on the riverbank, as cars were
1: flying by on the Third Ring Road,
0: they were beeping their horns, theoretically in support. There's a kind of, a, there's a reason why this area was chosen.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the resonance, uh, you know, throughout, not only throughout the country, but I think... Internationally, I think people have s- sensed that this is this is kind of a special time throughout the world. You've had uh, this; we're on the tail end of COVID. The Chinese people have noticed that other countries have been able to get beyond COVID and in back to something like normalcy, uh, whereas here it's like it's almost back to where it was in, in in 2020. But I think that we're so we're so tuned into each other these days and connect interconnected. You know, we saw you know people who are right now protesting. Uh, the death of this woman, who was, you know, killed because she her hijab was not right. And, you know, in, in Iran you have this 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 protest going on and people being killed. You have uh, the the outbreaks in Irumqi that we just talked about. The resonance not only between other countries and the sorts of dissatisfaction that's all the world, the the Ukraine the Ukraine issue, all these sorts of things going on. People. People had a sense that this is a moment in history when all of these, uh, these flashpoints are coming to a head, sort of coalescing at this one moment. And it's quite amazing. And the historical resonance, resonance too. People are looking back to previous kinds of outbreaks in all countries, all different countries and revolutions of all kinds. So, I mean, this is pretty interesting to see what's going to happen. And I don't envy the party. The party has painted itself into a corner here. They've done very good in in some uh, narrow aspects of controlling the epidemic, but they've had some really inexplicable lapses in in farsight and overall planning for the future in terms of vaccines, in terms of, you know, who's... I mean, they, they can't have believed that they could just keep zero COVID going until the COVID died out. That's not going to happen, right? So they've, they've painted themselves in a corner where, where this is really their own, their only solution to the, to the problem right now is just to continue with this draconian zero COVID, right? But on the other hand, they've got this other problem now that they've got to figure out what to do, and they, and they cannot solve the problem by just repeating the same sorts of methods that they've been using for the past two years. At the very least, they've got to change their attitude toward the people to and their level of accountability to the people, and that means you have to do what other countries do. You get leaders that step out in front and they say you know, we've made a mistake, or here's what we need to do, or here's the plan we're going to ask, here's what we're asking of you, and here's what we're going to do, and to give people some sense that that, that they're people, are that they're actually working as politicians and as administrators to actually improve the lives of the people, which is, which is what they're supposed to do, right?
0: You know, a lot of this, too, it's interesting, you mentioned the connections with the rest of the world, right. and, you know, it's only a matter of time before we get the usual excuse of hostile foreign forces. Which, as people have pointed out, if it is hostile foreign forces that they manage to somehow in a lockdown country arrange and organize mass protests at all these cities over one weekend simultaneously, and somebody at the Ministry of State Security is going to need a new job. But I do think that there are some interesting c- connections with the outside world. One of the things, although I don't think this is the only catalyst, but there is some, there is some truth to this, that the images on things like the World Cup. Of the rest of the world, kind of moving on, right? I think that graded on a lot of people here. That's one, and I think it's interesting too that, you know, the choice of how people are protesting, some of the the some of the images, the songs um, that they're using are some of them harken back to very specifically, if you will, kind of Chinese history. So things like you know singing the national anthem to show that i am patriotic i'm not opposing the government right. i'm not asking for regime change i want you to help me and we kind of think about how that was the case in like 1989 right. as well the international which right. has been used a couple of times in that way but also you know les misérables mm-hmm. bob marley get up stand up was a was on, was being shared the the video or a, a video of get up stand up bob marley singing it was being shared on a lot of my WeChat feeds. And I thought, well, I mean, it makes sense. And I thought it was an interesting choice. But then I looked at the Chinese subtitles and realized that it gets translated as Chi Lai, Chi Lai, John Chi Lai. And I'm like,
1: ah, oh, okay, I see <laughs> the where this beginnings is beginnings of the Chinese national anthem, right. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, another brick in the wall. Uh, even Patti Smith is really popular right now. Really? Oh, oh yeah. That's and interesting. There's, so there's there's that. And I, I think, too, you know, one of the other memes I saw, which was kind of Interesting was the uh, meme. I mean, we've, we've seen, for example, the white blank piece of paper. Yes, right. I can't speak, but also uh, a meme that said blocked lives matter. <laughs> Which I, 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 I
1: thought that was I thought that was pretty I thought that was pretty cute. The Chinese won't get it, but it's it works in English, right?
0: <laughs> it works in English, but it was being shared by a lot of my, yeah. my friends who are obviously yeah. bilingual. You know, if people are interested in what's going on, there is a Twitter account that we'll we'll, we'll link to in our in our notes. Highly recommend it. It's called it's a in Chinese Li Laucher Busher Ni Laucher. Right. It's a it's he's this person or this group is collecting images. Um, throughout the Chinese internet and, and archiving them on Twitter for as long as Twitter oh, lasts. Oh, that's great! Yeah, great. Um, and so if people are interested in kind of a sort of going through the progression of what's been happening this weekend, this has been a really valuable resource. And so you know, if, if people get a chance, check that out.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's good because this is this is interesting historically. I mean, we're living through history, right? And it's it's also interesting but not unusual that the people participating and and they're, you know creating a kind of a movement here are 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 aware of the history they're aware of the historical re- resonances the, i i heard i heard resident i heard references to the may 4th movement just like we did during the, the 8, 1989 they're quoting chairman mao saying you know come on let the people speak the sky won't fall according, and they're according to she according to Xi Jinping's father that's right yes yeah right they're finding this is this is the 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 sort of delicious irony of the whole thing, and including in 1989, they go back to the noble, you know, uh, uh, the noble, es- you know, uh, philosophical essences of the party at their birth, you know, uh, about free speech and, you know, the you know actuality of human potential and all this kind of stuff. And they pull this back to the Trinity 20th 21st century and say look we're just doing the same thing that that are you know that that Lu Xun they've quoted Lu Xun's famous quote about the iron room and all this kind of stuff exactly that's the whole point you know how can you argue with this this is part of the party legacy right so this needs to be documented because it's 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 really amazing and also as you point out the fact that this is an interconnected world and Chinese are very western oriented and they they grew up listening to rock music and and reggae and and uh, these sorts of songs and stuff that are about freedom and you know this sort of stuff. This is wonderful. This is great. And so it's it's the one of the few things that in this in the, over the weekend has made me feel kind of good about the whole thing and optimistic about it because this is one of those moments that tests, you know, what human beings are good for. And, and if we can't recognize where uh, the faults that we and the problems that we've created, and uh, to you know push ahead against uh, sort of backwards forces to to remedy it, then what are we here for? So that's. I don't know what's going to happen. This is still early. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. It'll be interesting to see what happens next in the next few weeks. But right now, this is pretty interesting times we live in.
0: That's well said, David. And uh, you know, I want to thank you for braving the uh, cold weather. And thank you all also for listening. You can find our podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. For those of you who have been writing me and saying, Jeremiah, you have no idea how to technically run a podcast. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> Good news. I think I have sorted this out, so you should be able to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and if you can't, um, I can give you David's email address and you can complain to him. (laughs) Thanks. And with that, it's another edition of Barbarians at the Gate. We'll talk to you next time.